How is everybody today? Anybody, anybody else in here enjoying the weather today or just me? I like it. My wife thinks I'm crazy, but a little bit of mist, a little light rain, some overcast. You know, I, I lived in a place for 20 years where the sun shined 360 days a year. And that's just the truth. I lived in the high desert in a place called Yucca Valley, California. And it was sunny 360 days a year. It was rare that it rained. And when it did rain, it never just like came and just rained, you know, lightly and peacefully all day. It would just pour. Everything would flood. And that would be how much water we'd get for the year. So, um, you know, for a little bit of change of weather for me is nice. We had this woman from Seattle when I was living in Yucca Valley. And I, and I told her, how in the world do you live in a place where it rains 350 days a year? And she said, how do you live in a place where the sun shines 360 days a year? I said, okay, I guess it's a matter of perspective, you know. So I always like a little change in the weather. I don't care what it is, but people think I'm crazy. But, um, but now I'm actually to the point where I could use a little sunshine every once in a while. Most of what I'm hoping is a little just nice sunshine. But if you have your Bibles, if you'll open them up, we're ready for... Uh, we're not really ready for it, but we're going to do anyways Hebrews chapter 7 today. And you say, if you're paying any kind of attention, hold on, Pastor Chris, we did Hebrews chapter 7 last week. But, um, you know, we've, we've been kind of taking the book of Hebrews in, in these chunks and really some topics that we've spent some time on. And I have to tell you, um, teaching the book of Hebrews is is um, been difficult. And all the books that I've taught, I think I said this last week, and, and just the reason is you have to really slow down in Hebrews. You have to understand Hebrews in its cultural context, in, in how it was meant for its day. And, and, and if you unpack it in the way that you understand that Paul is addressing a group of Hebrew Christians who, um, who were born under the law of Moses, and then Jesus died somewhere in their lives and, and rose again. The veil of the temple was rent. And, and we changed. There's a big word called dispensations. And, and we've seen different dispensations through human history. Well, it was the dispensation of the Old Testament and of um, relating to God according to the law of Moses and offering animal sacrifices and following the laws, the, the dietary laws and the kosher laws. Well, so, there's a group of people who were born into those laws, and then Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple rent, and they lived the, the second half or the rest of their lives under a new dispensation. You and I will never, never face anything like that. We'll only live under one dispensation. We are a unique group of people in human history because if Jesus comes in the rapture in our lifetime, we will be the only um, generation in human history that, that will live that or see that. We live in a very unique generation. Well, well, the generation of, of the book of Hebrews is very similar, very unique. Never before, never after in human history would a generation live through the, trans, the transition of dispensations from a little spit just came out of my mouth. <laughs> Genuinely, just right onto the front row with nobody sitting there. Like, what a waste. <laughs> I got to come over here and I do it next time. <laughs> um, so... We, we, we've, we've slowed down a little bit. Hebrews is very deep. You can, you can mess Hebrews up if you're not careful. We, we dealt with a couple weeks ago, can a Christian lose their salvation? Can a Christian be demon-possessed? And hopefully we did a good job to answer these questions. We, we've been getting introduced to this very, very important um, topic of Melchizedek and who is Melchizedek and this, this guy in Genesis 14. And hopefully, how many of you guys, hold your pens up in the air. Okay. And then if somebody next to you doesn't have them, hit them with the one you got. Okay. Um, Say, bring a pen next week on a paper. 
Listen, it doesn't matter that you go back and read what you wrote down, but it does affect how you learn. And um, I encourage you to take some notes, especially in your Bible. Um, you know, you maybe get a wide margin Bible that has some room where you can write in it. But right here near Hebrews 14 somewhere, or Hebrews 7, um, Genesis 14, we have this story in Genesis 14. And Abraham's um, nephew Lot is captured by the kings who of, um, in Sodom and Gomorrah, where, where Lot was and where God rained down fire and brimstone. There was, there was five kings and there was four kings. And, and the side that, that Sodom and Gomorrah was on lost the fight. And, and Lot and his, and his men were captured, and Abraham and his 318 trained servants go down and fight a bigger army, and they, they capture Lot, and they bring him back safely um, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and as, as Abraham returns from the battle, um, Genesis 14, a guy named Melchizedek, a priest of the Most High God, a king of Jerusalem, shows up, and Abraham pays tithes to him. And, and, and then we, and then the guy, dis, this guy Melchizedek disappears. Nowhere in the Bible before or after do we hear about him. And then um, a thousand years later, King David is alive and he's writing the Psalms and he mentions Melchizedek in one Psalm, Psalm 110. And then again, Melchizedek and the idea of who he is and where he is and, and, and what he has to do with, with the biblical narrative disappears. And then Paul picks up the story in Hebrews and he spends like three chapters explaining to the Jews of his days, these Christians. Now, again, let me, let me kind of parenthesis something for a minute and back up, but hopefully continue that thought. The, 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 the Hebrews that Paul was addressing in the book of Hebrews that I, that I talked about, born under the law of Moses, died under grace. Now, for these guys, they were liberated, right? Like, you know, one, one, of, my, um, one of my dreams in Israel or, or when I go to Israel, one of the things I do is we lead tours to Israel. I've been fortunate enough to go like seven times. i got three trips in the next couple of years. Um, but I've always had a heart. I've wanted to lead a Jew to, to Jesus. And I've never, in all my years of ministry, God's never given me the opportunity or the, 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 the occasion to lead a Jew to Jesus. So last year when we were in Israel, um, at the end of the tour, we get together and, and we kind of powwow and we get a chance to talk and we thank the people that, were, that need to be thanked and have a little um, um, banquet on the last night. And, and I told the, gr- the group, I said, listen, I finally got it. I've been wanting to lead a Jew to Jesus my whole life and I haven't been able to do it, but I've been doing it all wrong. I said, next time I'm going to get a double bacon cheeseburger. I'm going to get some lobster bisque and a queen size bed. And I'm going to roll through the streets of Jerusalem and I'm going to say, look, if you, if, you, if you accept Jesus, this is cool. This is okay now. You can now eat a double bacon cheeseburger. You can sleep in the same bed with your wife and you can eat lobster. So, um, so these Jews were, were going through this change where all that stuff was prohibited and now it's okay for them to do these things. And Paul is addressing it. But listen, these were Christians. We, we talk a lot as we go through the narrative of the, of the New Testament, especially as we've gone through the Gospels, that that group of Pharisees and Sadducees, this group of religious Jews that Jesus spent his whole life, his whole three-year ministry fighting with. And, and we studied through the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, it's just story after story after story of Jesus having dialogue and having um, um, contention and fighting with this group called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then eventually what happened? 
that same group of, of Pharisees and Sadducees and, and um, the Sanhedrin, which was the political and religious party of Jesus' day, made up of 70 members, some Pharisees, some Sadducees, some from some different kind of sects of, of zealots in different areas. But there were 70 Jews that, that governed Israel in Jesus' day. Now, unlike our government, where we try to separate um, religion and state, there was no separation. It was all one body that governed everything. They governed the affairs and the lives of the people and the religious. They were called the Sanhedrin. And what did the high priest and the Sanhedrin do to Jesus? They murdered him. They killed him. So, I'm, listen, man, but we're not in, in, this, in this context that I want you to know that that's not the group that we're talking about, Okay. We're talking about the Jews of Jesus' day, some of them Pharisees. Nicodemus was a famous Pharisee. Um, where do we find Nicodemus in the Bible for extra credit? You've got to know this. Somebody's got to know this. My wife's not here to bail you guys out. Where do you find Nicodemus? In John chapter 3, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. You guys want to try it with me? See if we can do it together. Whenever I put myself on the spot, I'll mess it up. But let's try it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that verse. Who was Jesus talking to when, when, he, when he said that? Now, that was an event in human history just in Jesus' life. Jesus didn't say, hold on, I'm going to write one of the most famous verses that's, that's going to last. Um, there's going to be a guy named Tim Tebow that's going to pray like this, and he's going to wear eye patches with make John 3.16 famous. That's not how it happened. Jesus was living life. And he met a guy that was a Pharisee, and Jesus is having conversation with this guy, and Jesus is trying to share with him truth, and, and then Jesus is explaining to him that for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, and in this conversation, we get John 3.16, but again, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Who was Nicodemus? We call him Nick at night, play off a of Nickelodeon. Why do we call him Nick at night? Because he came to Jesus at night. Why did he come to Jesus at night? Because he was a Pharisee and he had reputation and he had, he had all kinds of stuff on the line. And, and the last thing he wanted to, be, to, to happen was politically and career-wise to be caught hanging out and talking to Jesus. So Nick at night comes to Jesus and, and, and he, by night and, and they have this conversation. Well, guess what happens to Nick at night? Nicodemus gets saved and, and he becomes one of these Jews that Paul is talking to here in the Hebrews. Okay, you follow that? Okay, um, why did the clock say one fifteen? Am I just outside my head or what? Is that how much time we got? Hey, no, one fifteen. I can preach for an hour and 15 minutes? Come on. All right, y'all get comfortable. Shake it in. Get it ready. Um, my clock, my countdown clock says one fifteen. Um, all right, I got like 30 minutes. Okay, hey, um... Sorry. So the, you know what the plan was for today was to move a little bit faster, like not add a chapter 8 to today because we, we haven't really covered some really good content in, in 6 and 7. So slow down. Make sure you cover some ground. But I don't do that well. So, But, hey, let's pick it up. Um, before we do, real quick, I did have one announcement. I should have made it already, but we have one announcement. Did you guys see our new furniture when you walked in, anybody? Kind of machine makes steam. Coffee comes out and makes some noise. Really fancy espresso machine out there. Nobody's excited. Come on, somebody. Hey, God is good, and I already told you guys um, 
um, generous donors from our church donated that machine to the church, so it didn't cost the church a dollar. So uh, praise the Lord again. Those, those know who they are, and thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. That was wonderful, 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 generous gift. And we're super excited. Um, we're not really ready to be a coffee shop yet. Um, um, and again, we welcome John home already. John and his lovely bride, they walked in today, and they were, they were holding coffee that they got from the coffee stop. But I love it. That just proves my point, right? Hey, you don't have to stop at coffee stop on your way to church. Come. This is now your new coffee stop. And, you, and we'll serve whatever coffee stop or Jana's or Starbucks serves. And, um, um, the, again, once we open the coffee shop, and we're looking for baristas too. It's going to be a volunteer position. So if you want to volunteer to, to serve in the coffee shop to help with that, let me know. Um, we have a couple of people that have had experience. I'm trying to talk them into um, helping train and, and be a part of that. And we're, we'll build our own menu. It'll kind of ebb and flow and come as it goes. If you just drink black coffee with cream and sugar, that'll still be free and available for you every Sunday. If you want a Starbucks-style coffee, then we'll, we will charge for those. So that's, that's the vision moving forward. And then I'm going to put a little mini fridge out there somewhere with maybe like some yogurts or some bagels or some kind of continental breakfast easy stuff you can grab and eat. So I encourage you guys on Sunday mornings if you want to come a little bit early, get a cup of coffee, get a bagel, get a breakfast burrito or something or whatever we got going on each Sunday, hang out in the lobby, hang out in the conference room um, and, and have, you know, have a continental breakfast and a cup of coffee before church and bring your Bible and read your Bible, hang out with your friends. So that's the vision, the heart of that space on this side of that wall is to create fellowship and, and to get you guys to come a little bit early and hang out with people you don't know or meet new people and and, um, you know, all of that has a reason. The coffee shop is not about the church making money. We promise you we, we won't make money with, with it. If we break even on the supplies and what we do, we'll be happy. Um, but that's the vision for all that, and it's because we love you guys. Amen. really is. really is. And I'm super excited. Like, you know, you see stuff getting done. You go in the conference room and you look up and you see that ceiling done. You know, Brian and his boys came yesterday and finished the ceiling. And, um, you know, just, I don't know, every step of the way I get so encouraged because it, it, it took a, I didn't have the vision and the faith that it needed to see all this stuff done. I can remember when the ceiling here was first exposed and it was just the nastiest, worst looking. I just thought, it's just going to look like that forever. It's just the way it is and to see it done. And um, let me, do, do uh, bear with me just two seconds. Let me tell you guys a story. Uh, so yesterday, we're here with the work party, and we're working, we're doing our thing, we're trying to get the conference room cleaned and tools and stuff moved upstairs, and by the way, we did like, well, I didn't do because I'm fat and out of shape, but uh, some of the guys that worked hard, uh, uh, Daryl, man, that guy worked his butt off, and he ran up and down them steps about 50 times carrying tiles and tools and up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down them steps, uh, getting stuff out of the way. Well, my, my, my phone lights up yesterday. And I get a text message from um, a pastor friend of mine who's now in Gooding, Idaho. His name's Pastor Dave, um, where Darlene is standing there. Um, those doors that you see there, that's a concrete wall, and those are commercial doors with a metal frame. And so when we did the project, when we started this remodel project, that this was a solid wall. We had to create this entrance. So Dave and Frank came from Idaho and cut that hole in the wall and we're here for two days and hung those doors and it's a big deal you know and and Dave was a professional door hanger in Yucca Valley him and I did ministry together for a lot of years and just he worked for a big construction company called Guy Evans and that's what they did hang doors and commercial and 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 finish work so Dave um called got called to Gooding Idaho where him and his family went and they planted a Calvary Chapel in Gooding well Dave texted me and he said hey after church tomorrow Frank and I are going to come to Twilla and hang those two bathroom doors for you out of the blue. 
And I'm looking, I'm standing in front of the doors, looking at these, these doors, you know, trying to get him hung. Poor Jerry, you know, we, we, he's been working his butt off around here and finished the coffee bar. And by the way, the, the, the coffee bar, you know, uh, Jerry got that all done. It's so amazing, right? And it looks so good. So Jerry's been wanting to get them doors hung for me, and he's been trying his best, working six days a week. And so uh, it just wasn't happening, but I wanted to get those, those real doors hung on the bathroom. And so God is good. And just I didn't ask Dave. Just out of the blue, he knew about it. He knew about the project. And the, the guys were supposed to come and hang him, and they, they bailed on me. So Dave just texted me out of the blue yesterday and says, hey, we're coming. So anyways, he's coming. They're going to come today, um, hang out in my house, have dinner. And then tomorrow, him and Frank are going to hang those doors. I'm going to probably try to get him to do some other work too. We're going we're gonna to put some panic hardware on some of the other doors while they're here. So, All right, so that was my announcement in the middle of the message. Let's go back. Hey, let's pick up Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 19. Something that when we covered 6, we spent a lot of time in, in Hebrews chapter 6 um, because Hebrews chapter 6 is the pivotal chapter for can a Christian lose their salvation? Now, do you remember the answer that we came up with? Can a Christian lose their salvation? No. Can a Christian leave their salvation? Yes, that's the conclusion that we came up with, right or wrong, that's, that's where we landed, that, that you cannot lose your salvation. But you can leave it. You can walk away. Um, so we didn't really get to this one of the key verses in chapter 6, and then we started Melchizedek talk. So I'm going to hit a couple highlights in 6 and 7 in the next 25 minutes, and then we'll get you guys out of here hopefully on time. Matt, are you guys good to do a closing song today? Okay. All right. So it says, um, chapter 6, verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor. Somebody say an anchor. Of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. So this hope, um, the Bible says, Paul tells us, now he's encouraging these Hebrews in Jesus. And again, you remember the theme of, of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. Hey guys, you're coming out of Judaism. You're coming out of the law. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Abraham. Jesus is better than the, the Aaronic and the Levitical priesthood. Jesus is better than the Old Covenant. Jesus is better, and that's what Paul is telling these people. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I, I, again, I, I, all, all Paul had to do was just show up with a bacon cheeseburger. Listen, it's better. You don't have to follow the kosher laws anymore. So it's better, it's better, it's better. So that's the theme. Well, Jesus is saying that, that this anchor, this hope that we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, verse 19, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Now, this, this hope that, that anchors your soul, okay, it's a hope that, 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 that anchors your soul. Now, that hope, it says that it's, it's behind, it enters behind the veil. So God's given you a hope, it anchors your soul, and that hope has its existence, its birth, its presence behind the veil. What is the veil? What is the veil? Well, the veil protects or it, it keeps us out. The veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. What was behind the veil? The Holy of Holies. What did you find inside the Holy of Holies? The Ark of God, the presence of God, a thing that's not necessarily technically, because Matt's here, otherwise I wouldn't say this, um, <laughs> biblical, the Shekinah glory of God resides in the Holy of Holies. And really it was a small room, like an eight by eight room. 
and you have this Solomon's temple and you start on the outer courts and you work this progression and you, you pass the, the, the table of showbread and the altar of incense and, and the lampstands and, and the washing basins and this whole progression of how you're, you're on the outside and as you get closer and closer to the presence of God and every symbol in the, in the temple, um, it represents you moving from far to God to close to God and then finally you come to the Holy of Holies. Now, in the whole, behind this, this veil that, that Paul says, this anchor that anchors our soul, that it, it resides, its presence is behind the veil, is the Ark of the Covenant. It's the Shekinah glory of God. Now, who went behind the veil into the Holy of Holies? The high priest. How many times did the high priest go into the Holy of Holies? Once a year. You all got that? The high, only the high priest and only once a year. And the high priest would have to make atonement for his own sins. He would have to make sure that he was without sin and had, had the blood of, of, of God and the blood of lambs covering his sins and ask God for forgiveness and that he had good relationship and right standing with God before he went in there. Tradition says they would tie a rope with bells on it as he went in to perform what he was to do in there, lest he went in with the wrong heart and he fell over dead in the presence of God and, and nobody would, would go in after him lest they fall over dead. They could pull him out. So the high priest would go in and they're sitting in this small eight by eight room after the opulence and the the grandeur of what is the temple and this progression of leading into the Holy of Holies is this thing called the Ark of the Covenant that Moses built. And, And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant is what we call the mercy seat. And on either side of the mercy seat, it's a box. It's just a box. It's a it's a four by six box that 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 has a lid that you can take off and things inside of it. And on top of the mercy seat are two cherubim or angels and their wings are outstretched kind of either touching in the middle or close to touching. And this area above the Ark of the Covenant is, um, is, a, is a place, the flat top of the lid is what we call the mercy seat. And inside the Ark of the Covenant are things that represent the law of Moses. The tablets that Moses came down from Mount Sinai that God wrote on with the finger of God. And remember, Moses was angry because the people were dancing naked to, and they were singing Born to be Wild and they were having a party. And Moses was gone for 40 days and he takes the tablets and he throws them on the ground in anger and they bust. Moses had anger issues. Now, I don't know how the most humble man that ever lived had anger issues, but that's Moses. Um, so God, in his mercy, he says, OK, Moses, calm down, rub your ears, say wusa. And he he rewrote the, 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 the tablets. They're in the Ark of the Covenant. Some of the manna that they would collect um, every day for 40 years in the wilderness was stored in the, in the covenant that didn't rot. The rod of Aaron that Aaron threw down and it budded, it's a part of the miracles, that was kept in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. Fascinating study, what each of those things represented. But in a nutshell, they represent the law. So the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies once a year. And what does he do when he gets What does he have with him? What does he take with him into the Holy of Holies? One thing. He takes with him the blood of the sacrifice or the blood of the lamb. So he would have something to carry blood. They would have, they would have sacrificed um, the lamb, the particular one that would represent the sins of the nation of Israel. Now, each family would offer a lamb, hundreds of thousands of lambs every year um, leading up to the high priest. The same time, by the way, that Jesus dies on the cross. This all happens during Passover in, in Israel. To this, well, not to this day because they don't have a temple. But up until AD 70 when, when, when he died. 
But, but families would um, make aliyah and they would travel every year annually to Jerusalem and bring a lamb and the, and the priest would offer a lamb. And then there would be a particular lamb that, that, was, that was supposed to and that was meant to represent the sins of the nation. And the high priest would sacrifice it. They would collect the blood. He would take it into the Holy of Holies. And he would take the blood from the lamb and he would sprinkle it on top of the mercy seat year after year after year. What do you think that thing looked like? Guess what the Holy of Holies did not have? A maid. It was dirty. It would have been stinky. It would have been dried blood and and, and, and sin is ugly and, and the whole picture is ugly and, 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 and the, the killing of a lamb that, that was necessary is violent and it's a, it's a picture of, of what... What, what, ha- what would happen to Jesus and what our sin does and the effects of our sins. But the high priest goes in, he takes the blood, he sprinkles it on top of the altar, and, and, and ceremonially it covers the law. Inside the, uh, the covenant is the, inside the Ark of the Covenant is the, I said the altar, that's not really technically correct. He sprinkles it on top of the mercy seat, and inside the mercy seat is the law of Moses. It covers the law of Moses because the law never saves only the Lamb of God saves. The blood represents the Lamb of God. It covers the law. It covers the sin. And once a year. But in this, in this presence, God is there. Now, all that, just to say this. Don't forget where, where, why we're talking about the Holy of Holies. Okay? And I wanted to paint a picture of what's happening and what takes place in there. But listen. That this verse, that, that this hope is the anchor of your soul, that, that that hope that anchors your soul has presence in the Holy of Holies. That's, you got that? Okay, so we, we know where it resides. That's just powerful in itself, amen? That, that it's it, the presence that, which enters the presence of the veil. Now, I, I think we've been pretty thorough here. This is one of my favorite messages, I think, that I've preached in the last couple of years. Um, that, that, man, the power of, of the invitation that you and I have to now go into the Holy of Holies. You know that job that we just described where the high priest would go in only once a year? You can all go in every day. Now God says he's taken the Holy of Holies and he's moving it from one geographical location on planet Earth um, in Israel, in Jerusalem, hidden behind all of those things in Solomon's temple leading up to it. And now he's moving and he's going to put it in your bathroom. He's going to put it in your car. He's going to put it in your bedroom. He's going to put it anywhere where you want to be intimate and together with Jesus because he's going to meet you there. And, he's, and, and, and the Holy of we now, radical, radically powerful that, that we have this access into the Holy of Holies and, and, and complete access to Jesus and no more need for a, a priest or a go-between. So then he says, verse 19 again, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. So the, the, the thing that anchors our soul, now we use symbols today, right? What, what, is, what would you guys think of if I asked you about a uh, a popular, a familiar Christian symbol. What are some things you think of right away? The fish. I heard that. What else? Cross, right? I wear a cross. I got a fish tattooed on my arm. Um, we wear a cross. Um, but listen, the cross is something that the early church, um, during the time of the writing of Hebrews and, and for a while, they wouldn't have used. It would have been like taking an electric chair and, and hanging it on your neck or you know, a rope, a noose or something, like fashioning a noose, um, because it was an instrument of crucifixion that wasn't Jewish or Christian. It was Roman, and it was brutal. And it was later that the church took the idea, maybe because Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians that, that the, the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we've adopted, and we use the cross. We also use the fish. 
You know, it was said where that fish comes from, where you have, you know, the tail that crosses on the end, was that during the, the first century. Now, um, when Jesus died on the cross, AD 33, somewhere in there, we'll just call it close enough, 40 years later, 37 years later, Titus Vespasian and the Roman army come from Rome and they attack Israel. And they get to Jerusalem and they completely destroy the temple. And all through the nation of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, they're dispersing and Jews have fled and are fleeing this Roman siege where Rome is taking over. A small pocket of Jews move to a place in Israel near the Dead Sea that we visit called Masada. And they hold up there and they last for another like 60 years to about 130 and in 130, um, Rome finally, um, after they have the mountain, I mean, just imagine a huge mountain with no access up or down. Rome has to, with shovels and whatever tools they have, build a complete land bridge up to this thing. It takes them years and years and years. And so Israel is up on top of Masada, what's left, holding out. The Roman army is down below, and every day they outlook and they're watching this bridge slowly, years after year, getting a little closer to them, knowing that one day that bridge is going to make it up to the top of Masada. Well, it happens. The Jews commit mass suicide that are up there rather than go into, well, that's the last pocket of Jews that remain in Israel. So from about 130 to Aliyah or in the 19, late 1800s, no, no real Jewish settlements in Israel dispersed around the world. Well, back in Rome during this time where the early church has begun, the, there's, there's a, a succession of 15 Roman emperors from Nero who was, who was emperor in Paul's day. And about 330 somewhere, the Roman Empire dies. And then we have the last Roman Empire before the Roman Empire crashes and implodes in about the year 330. But in those, in those years, in that first hundred years of the church, in the first century, in the second century, millions of Christians were being martyred and killed. If you've anybody ever familiar with Fox's Book of Martyrs, you've done any kind of study on church history, um, the, 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 the persecution of Jews in the first century was astronomical. But actually, in 2018, we've surpassed it. And, and in 2017, 2016, 2015, um, more Christians are being killed now than in the first century, but the first time in where, where that's happened, because how many millions? So the Roman emperors were, were, were just mass murdering Christians. They were, they were in the gladiator games and the, um, all of those things where they were thrown into the gladiators and the tigers and all those things that were taking place in Rome in those years in Athens and in the, in the uh, what's that stadium called? The what? Colosseum, in the Colosseum, and, and all the Christians that were, were being killed there. There was a place there called, um, oh shoot, I'm drawing blanks now, the Parthenon. Maybe that's God's way of telling me to keep moving. The Parthenon, I think it was called, um, but it was a place where Christians would, um, were, were, were hiding or were holding up during this time. And what, what they find, it's still there today if you go to Rome and you, 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 the catacombs, I'm sorry, that's the name of it, the catacombs. In the catacombs um, where the Christians were, you find this symbol of an anchor being um, everywhere. It's like, it's like the way we use a cross and the way you see crosses today. But, it, but in, to the first century, it was, it was the, the anchor was the symbol of the church. The anchor was their, their icon. And, and so they would have this anchor everywhere, hundreds of them in the catacombs where, where, the, where the Christians were there for this verse, that it's this hope that anchors my soul. Now, now first of all, what is, the, what is the hope? What is the anchor? What is, what is it? Well, he says, he says this 
hope we have as an anchor of the soul. So we know that we have an anchor of the soul, but it's actually the hope that anchors our soul. The hope in what? Did I tell you guys what the, be- what the rule is in, in church? Come on, y'all. When you don't know the answer, if you just say Jesus, there's a good chance you'll be right. What is the hope in? Jesus. Listen, it's in Jesus, the anchor of our soul, the anchor of your soul, the anchor of my soul. It's Jesus. Listen, you are the only people. If you're an evangelical Christian, you're the only people on planet Earth that can have assurance of salvation. You can know that you know that you know you're going to heaven. Listen, I could stand here before you today, not in pride, not in arrogance, in total humility, and I can say to you in total confidence, I am going to heaven. And that's the truth. And that's the reality. And, and that is the assurance of my salvation. No one will ever take that from me. No one will ever sway that. I'm going to heaven. I honestly, honestly believe with all my fiber. And I want to be tested on it, like right now. If I'm laying here dying sick, and I'm like minutes away, and I know I'm going to heaven. I mean, I know I'm going to die. Would, would, would I just have complete peace knowing that in a few moments I'm going to die? Or would I be afraid, like... And I never know. Like, you don't know until you're tested. But I really believe, I really hope, man, that I kill that one. And, I, and I, that, that, that how I feel now, that, that no fear sets in if, if I, when I face that day. And then I'm just like, come on, hurry up. Where's Dr. Kevorkian? Like, give me something. Let's go see Jesus. You know, like, I'm ready and I'm not afraid because I have an anchor of the soul that, that, that no one will take that. Well, listen, you can't have that. In any other religious system, if you're, and I don't need to pick on any because 100% of the other ones qualify. I could start with wherever. You start naming them in your own mind. All the different religious systems of the world. Because none of them offer an assurance of salvation. Every one of them has somewhere in its roots some kind of work-based system. Listen, I'm going to heaven today, and I have an anchor of the soul, but it's not because of what I did. It's not because of who I am. It's not because of anything I've done. It's because what Jesus has done, that's what anchors my soul. If, if, I, have, if, if I had to count on an anchor uh, that was based on anything that I had to do to, to, to earn my salvation, to go to heaven, that's like a big cruise ship with a rope coming off the back of it and a wet noodle con- connected to it for an anchor. Like, that's not going to anchor anything. You know, if you've got a big cruise ship, you need an anchor the size of this building. You need an anchor. But we have an anchor the size of the building. And the good news is, is that it's the anchor and the confidence that I have that I'm going to heaven is not based on what, I, what I've done, which gives me the confidence that I'm going to go to heaven because it's based on what Jesus did. It's based on what, what's already been accomplished for me. And then when I lay on my deathbed and I'm facing death, I don't have to be afraid because nowhere in my mind do I think, man, did I do enough? Did I earn enough? Did I give enough? Did I serve enough? Was I good enough? None of those thoughts, only one thought. And I'll just be like, Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. As long as he forgives me, no matter what I did, where I went, where I was. If that one's good, I'm good. And I'm going. And I can have a confidence and assurance. And that's, a, that's an anchor that anchors my soul. Somebody say amen. amen. And, and that anchor has its presence behind the veil. Let that sink in. That God's giving you an anchor of your soul. You can know that you know that you know that you know. And we've been talking a lot about assurance of salvation around here. Because that's what the Bible's been talking about. But in the same time, you know, it doesn't take away from anything we've talked about that you can know, you know, you know, you have an anchor of the soul. Amen? 
All right, so um, then chapter 7, which we covered last week. So I just was going to hit a couple highlights today on a few things I missed, and then we're going to tackle chapter 8 next week. Um, the next highlight I think I wanted to hit that we missed last week after we covered pretty in-depth Melchizedek. Everybody have a at least a general idea of Melchizedek? Okay, clear as mud? Yeah? Like where who Melchizedek is and he's, you know, okay, Melchizedek, got to go. All right. So, hey, let's, 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 uh, let's sit on verse 25 for the last 10 minutes. Amen. And then we'll, uh, let you guys get out of here. I'm going to bring the worship team up today for sure. We're going to spend some time with the Lord at the end of service today. We're going to give you guys an opportunity to pray. Hey, one of the um, things that Darlene and Kevin and I have been talking about praying about and, um, something that we're kind of excited about, we need help with. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the, um, experiences, the opportunities that we want you to have when you guys come to local church. And again, every local church and and the local body that you're a part of as a Christ follower has a function in your life. And so as, 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 as the local church, we want to make sure that um, we're meeting the needs that you have spiritually and that we're functioning in such a way that um, meets your needs spiritually. And so one of the things that we want to do for you and we want to serve you guys, a way that we want to serve you and a heart that God's given us and a wonderful um, passion through, through Darlene and Kevin's passion that's really helped me and, and really taken something off of my plate that they're running with and doing a great job at and, and as a service for you guys is that we want to be praying for you. We want to be we want to pray for the needs of this body first and foremost. Okay? We want to pray for Africa and and Tooele County and other things. Yes, but but primarily and firstly, if we don't pray for our own needs in this building, then then you know, we have to start there and then we're going to go out. So, um, in church on Sunday, you know, we, we have the pastors line up down here, and sometimes because you have a long-winded preacher, we don't even get to the last song because it, Sunday school is going to kill me if we play a last song, and, you know, they've already been 10 minutes over, and your kids are so bratty that they're ready to get rid of them. But um, so we go, but, but that little season at the end of each service where the pastors come up to pray for you, and, you know, sometimes to come from your seat forward, I, I don't know why, I want to change it, that we get, I don't know, some people are cool with it, but some people are like afraid of it or they're embarrassed or they won't do it or they don't want to be vulnerable. And, um, but it's, it's very important. And I should encourage you guys in that, that we, we, we want to be able to meet your needs in any way. We have those purple cards that you can fill out for prayer. Um, but our heart is, is to meet your needs, to pray over the things in your life you want prayed for, to continue to pray for them. So we have that. Again, we encourage you guys when we offer that. It's not a failure. It's a success. It's a, it's a need. We all have have it, okay, to come up. And, and, and the Bible says, and sure, you can pray for your own needs. You need to be doing that. If you're not praying for your own needs, guess what? Probably nobody is. <laughs> so don't be afraid. Make sure you're covering and praying for the own things that are going on in your life. But, but also to have other people is biblical. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, there's, there's wisdom and a multitude of counselors, lots of reasons biblically why we get together and pray. So I encourage you guys in that part of it. So with that, one of the things that we're going to add to um, a Sunday morning is in the conference room on Sunday mornings is we're going to some of the prayer ministry team. They're just going to set up in there after church. And, and, if, and if you want, when you leave, before you make a right, if you want to make a left, you can go sit down with Darlene, with whoever's back there, and, and they want to pray for you. Amen? 
Amen. So, again, if you want to be a part of the team to love on people and pray for people, get with Darlene. And then just know as a church, you have that. We're going to have that available for you each Sunday that uh, we, you can talk to somebody. You can pray with somebody. I'll try to make a, a point to, to spend time back there um, and, and, and be there for you. And, again, I want to be available for you guys as much as possible. And the church is still small enough that, you know, I, I, everyone can have my cell phone if they need it. You can get a hold of me when you want to. And uh, if you need something individually, you don't, you know, the thing is you don't all have to come to me. There's lots of people that, that can meet your needs. Um, but we have that opportunity, you know, for, for us to continue to, just to love one another and do that. All right. So let's look at Hebrews chapter seven and let's pick up one more highlight in seven. We missed last week. And really the, the key of, of chapter seven is in verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. So we're talking about this Jesus who is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Whenever I read that verse, I, I think of the famous preacher who, who preached this passage. And every time I hear it, I, this goes on in my head. It's almost like I think it should come out of the Bible. But I, I'm, I, like I look back to see if the wording is there, and it's not. But he said that Jesus saves his famous line over and over again and made it very super famous. Jesus saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. Jesus saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. And, you know, and definitely I came from the guttermost. And Jesus can save to the uttermost. He saved the thief on the cross, right? I look around this room and Jesus can save to the uttermost with some of you guys, right? And some of us. And, and you know, I, I, I had a, a, a mom say, oh, yeah, he saved my daughters. And, you know, and they, 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 they were struggling. And I said, yeah, he saved me. And I was no different. And Jesus saves from the uttermost, to, from the guttermost to the uttermost. And there's nobody and no one and nothing that you've done and nothing that, that is in your past. There's nothing that Jesus can't save. There's nothing that Jesus can't redeem. There's nothing that Jesus can't restore and doesn't want to make right in your life. Jesus saves to the uttermost and that, and that it's necessary. And then it says that, um, that he, who comes to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Who, who always lives to make intercession for them? Jesus. Right? I love it when you guys get it. Um, Jesus. And the them there, that's you and me. Listen, this, some of this stuff, you guys, like, I don't know. Like, I need a better way to, like, preach it and make it hit home because it hits hard. Jesus ever lives to pray for you. What does intercession mean? Intercession is a fancy biblical word that means to, to intercede. <laughs> Just kidding. It, it means like what a lawyer does to, on your behalf. That, that it's, it's somebody who's a go-between. Somebody who's pleading with the judge on your case. Somebody who's, who's, who's protecting you and defending you and, and, and standing up for you and representing you. And that Jesus represents you to the Father. Now, I don't ever want, to, want us to paint the picture in our mind that, that God the Father is like sour, sucking on sour lemons and, and cross-eyed, you know. And Jesus is like, God, Father, calm down. Don't zap Chris with lightning. Like, he's interceding for me. Now, he is interceding for me because God does probably want to zap me with lightning. But that, that, that's, not what, that's not the heart of the Father. It's not, God's not this angry thing on a throne and Jesus is there interceding to keep God from turning me into crispy critter. The, 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 the Father loves you. For God so loved the world. That's the Father. 
For the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But yes, there, there is this scene that we see in Job chapter 1. And, and God gives us a picture into the heavenlies. And we see the devil who shows up. And the devil is there asking God's permission to mess with one of you. He's looking around the room and he's going, man, I really want to get that one right there. And he goes up to God and he's like, hey, can I get him? Can I get him? And he's talking about Job in that particular case. And he says, he says, God, can I attack Job? Now, does Satan have to get God's permission to attack you? Yeah, he does. It's just, sorry, it's just the way it is. It's weird, right? It is a little weird. Um, but in, in, in some senses, Satan works for God or, or God puts parameters on him. So Satan is in heaven. We see it. Read it. Job chapter 1. He says, can I go and, and attack Job? And, and, and he says, God, Job only serves you because look what all you've blessed him with. He's the richest guy in the, in the world. He's got wonderful family that he gets up and he sacrifices for every morning. He prays for. His family gets together and, and barbecues and just loves on each other all the time. He's got, he's got so much riches and so much cattle and livestock and property. He only loves you, God, because of all those things that you've given him. He said, Satan said to God, can I go down and attack and kill a few of them sheep and then see if he still loves you? And God said, okay, you can do what you need to do, but you can't kill him. So God puts a parameter on Satan. And Satan goes down, he gets busy. And on the first night, ten of Job's kids die. And then he starts killing some sheep, eventually all the sheep. And then he starts breaking boils out on Job's skin and getting Job really sick, but not, can't kill him. But he, but he makes him sick, and these boils and these things that are growing on his skin are so itchy and painful that Job takes the pottery in his house, and he breaks it, and he takes the pieces of it, and he's scraping his skin. And in all this, the Bible says, Job neither sinned nor cursed God. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I will bless the name of the Lord. And Job continues, and that's the story of Job, that he continues to bless God and bless God in the good and the bad. And um, so we have, again, we have this, this scene where, where, where Satan is there, and who knows, maybe he's asking. Now, I do believe Satan, I not believe, I know Satan is not like Jesus or the Holy Spirit who can be in all places at all times. Satan himself can only be in one place at one time. But he has a host of, 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 of demons, fallen angels. And so, you know, you're probably not a big enough fish for Satan himself to fry. But, but he's got enough demons that, that, that he can assign one to you to, to, to do. But that, again, there's still this, this thing. But Jesus is there, the Bible says, that Jesus ever lives to intercede, to defend you, to, to be on your half. You know the other thing, the, the description of Satan the Bible gives us, that Satan is the, anybody? The accuser, accuser of the brethren. So he's in heaven and he's accusing me. Well, why are you blessing Chris? Did you see what he was thinking? Did you see what he was looking at at the beach when he was there? How could you, you know, like these, these things and whatever my struggle, whatever the, the sin or whatever the weakness is, and, and God is, and Satan is there accusing me. And Jesus is telling the Father, ah, it's washed, it's washed in the blood. <laughs> ah, it's washed in the blood. <laughs> you know, it's washed in the blood. It's washed in the blood. It's washed in the blood, and he's, he's interceding for me. He's protecting me. He's loving me. He's, he's, he's coming up with plans. He's counting the hairs on my head. He's thinking good, good thoughts towards me. Amazing, amazing um, that Jesus is, is interested in my life and in your life, that Jesus cares about what's going on every day, that Jesus is interceding for you. 
we know that Jesus as our great high priest, and we talked about this concept last week that I thought was, was, was super powerful, again, concept, that Jesus is a king and a priest. And in your life, you have a God that does two things for you, or many things for you, but, but you know, a king does certain things for, for his people. And Jesus is your king, and he provides for you, and he protects you, and he gives you employment, and he does certain things that a king would do to provide for you. But a king doesn't do what a priest does. A priest meets your spiritual needs. But guess what? Jesus is not only your great king, he's also your great high priest. And he does for the things in your life spiritually. That he meets your needs. He intercedes for you. He cares for your spiritual needs. He, 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 he saves you. He forgives you. He loves you. He counsels you. In Isaiah, it says that, that Jesus is a mighty God and a wonderful counselor. We talked about that concept for Jesus as our high priest, as your high priest. Amen? So he ever lives to make intercession for us. And then it says, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the, he- than the heavens, who does, not need daily, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his, for his own sin and then for the people's. His own did once and for all. He offered up himself. So Jesus' sacrifice is, is, you know, unlike the human priest that Paul is making a point that, that Jesus is better than, that Jesus only needed it once. And the last part of 28 says, he appoints the son who has been perfected forever. The Bible says to Jesus, about Jesus, he does all things well. Let's have the worship team come on up, close us in a song. Um, he does all things well. Jesus does all things well. Amen. Jesus does all things well. You know the thing about encouraging you on a Sunday morning and, and, and in your life? We had a, a woman, we, you, you have, we have a woman here in our church that I won't single out that her house flooded last week. And, and you know, it's not been, not been fun. Anybody experienced that? Lydia and I went through that one time. We went to L.A. for the weekend and we came home and water had been running over our kitchen table from the ceiling for three days. It's, it's not fun. But as, as I, um, you know, encouraged her, I tried to just pray for her and bring some kind of godly encouragement that's beyond myself, right? The reality is when, when, when God does something in your heart, in your life, she's not going to go home today and all the furniture is miraculously going to be put back where it was and undamaged. It's still going to be a mess. The furniture is still going to be a mess. You come in today and your car's broken. And, we, and, and, and you gain a perspective that Jesus loves you and he's your high priest and he's, and he's, he's providing for you as a king. He's, he's serving you as a priest. When you go out to the parking lot, guess what's going to be there? Same piece of junk you drove up in. <laughs> Messed up. But you know, you know your, your piece of junk out front may not change right away, but you know what will change? Your attitude, your heart. You might just look at it and just go, Jesus, thank you, I got a car. Jesus, thank you that you're my high priest. Jesus, thank you that you provide for me and you love me and that, that you're good. And I can trust you. And I know that if, if, if I needed a different car, you'd give it to me. Because the Bible says that you have not because you ask not. Jesus said if you wanted more, I would have given it to you. Just ask. You don't, have, you don't lack anything. That, that, God, that If you want it, if you need it, Jesus said just ask me for it and I'll give it to you. If you want it, if you need it, if he deems it, it fit in your life, he'll take care of you. And, and, and again, the circumstance doesn't always change. But what does change is our perspective. And that's what we can affect in here this morning is your outlook and your attitude. And, and the fact that just you trust God. You know, 
How many of you guys went through what Job went through? Yeah, none of you. Thank the Lord he went through it so we didn't have to. And if Job can go through it as an example for you and I to encourage us, that we could probably handle what it is that God's got going on in our lives. You know, the lesson in life as a Christian is not not to love and, and not necessarily to like all the bad and the struggle and the hardship that happens in your life, but to trust God in it no matter what. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Hey, if you would like individual prayer, uh, our leadership team will be up here to pray for you guys. In a couple weeks, we're going to get the conference room open and open a prayer ministry on Sunday mornings. Um, in the meantime, let's just take this last song and, and just pray. Pray quietly if you like to. Worship. Ask God to do something in your life, whatever your need was when you came in today. If the Holy Spirit um, spoke something to you during the message today, spend some time, reflect on that, talk to God, listen to God. And uh, it's about a minute and a half, two minutes, however long the song lasts. But give this next three minutes to the Lord if you'd like individual prayer. Again, we encourage you guys to take advantage of the opportunity to pray. Come up and pray uh, with the leadership team. And if not, we love you guys. And uh, you guys have a great week. We'll see you on, uh, in about an hour when the work party starts. All right. God bless you guys. Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. We love you. God, we ask that uh, you, you, Lord, would uh, just work in each one of our hearts and lives. God, I pray for the needs that we have. Lord, I pray for the physical needs, the spiritual needs. I thank you that you are our great king and high priest. And Jesus, that you function um, as a king would over his people and over us. As a personal king that we know, that knows our name and we know you. We thank you that you um, say in the word and we've been studying that you're also our high priest who every day is making intercession for us. That every day you're pleading with the Father on our behalf. You're protecting us from the lies and the accuser of the brethren and the false false lies that Satan brings and when he brings those lies you just set them straight and when those when those lies about us are true because we are struggling you just say that they're washed in the blood and we thank you for that we thank you Jesus that you've called us and given us an assurance of salvation that we don't find anywhere else and Lord it's impossible to know that we're going to go to heaven outside the grace of Jesus Christ and so Lord we love you I pray that you'd meet the needs of our people here in Twilla Springs this morning God, pour out your spirit upon them. If there's anybody in here that doesn't know they're going to heaven, I pray that they'd come up and ask one of these guys to pray for their salvation. I pray, Lord, that right now they'd just say yes to Jesus. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to ask Jesus in your heart this morning, I want you to come up and ask one of these guys to pray for you as we sing this next song. If you just want prayer for anything in your life, maybe you have a praise report and you want to just come up and share with, with, with the leadership team up here. So God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.